to the Athletic Business Podcast. I'm Jason Scott, flying solo today in the host chair for today's episode, uh, coming to you live from my home office, which is uh, also my bedroom at the moment. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us as we continue to kind of record these episodes remotely and a little bit more sporadically. We know that you guys are uh, continuing to listen and we are grateful for you uh, for sticking around. Uh, on today's episode of the show, we are continuing our conversations about reopening with uh, Justin Karen from the Aquatic Design Group. Uh, as the name of the firm indicates, Justin is an expert in aquatics facilities. Uh, he's been in and around pools for a, a very long time, uh, and uh, he is going to be speaking with us about the special considerations that aquatics facilities have to keep in mind when they are going about uh, reopening their pools. Uh, obviously, you know, like pool facilities function a little bit differently from some of the other facilities that we've been speaking about on these recent episodes of the show. Um, so we'll get right to our conversation with Justin just after this. The Dolphin System Rental Program from Colorado Time Systems is designed to help you out during this trying time. Colorado Time Systems understands the struggles you might be facing as a team, including how to run a meet in the midst of a pandemic while keeping your athletes safe and without breaking the bank on a new timing system. As you navigate toward the new normal, trust the leader in aquatic timing and scoring with a tried-and-true timing system. The Dolphin Wireless Stopwatch System is an ideal solution for summer swim leagues as well as virtual meets. The data is easily shared with the team you are competing with and integrates seamlessly with a number of meet management programs including HiTech, Meet Maestro, and Splash. Learn more at coloradotime.com. So Justin, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Jason. Um, so first, just so uh, our listeners can kind of get a feel for uh, who you are, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the work that you do with Aquatic Design Group? Yeah, um, I started with the company in 2005, um, became a principal in 2015, and um, started out doing mostly marketing and business development. Uh, that transitioned into mostly project management with business development, um, and now I do a lot of the administration of the firm, uh, still do a lot of project management, a lot of business development, um, but, but I'm much more involved in guiding the, the firm uh, down the down the path we want to go into the future. And, and that's uh, sometimes pretty transparent and sometimes pretty nebulous. Yeah. And we wanted to talk with you uh, today just about the concept of reopening. Um, you know, so many of our of our listeners are um, getting uh, back on track, getting ready to welcome um, participants back to some of their facilities. Um, and after a few months of being closed down, uh, you know, just uh, as far as uh, facilities with aquatics elements, um, we were just kind of wondering whether you you've heard much from clients about how they're planning to uh, reopen and just kind of what your general thoughts on the subject were. Well, I, I think one of the unique things about aquatics is that the pools themselves, everyone agrees, are safe, right? right. The, the, the virus, um, the, the, the normal levels of disinfectants uh, that we have in the water, whether that's chlorine, bromine, ozone, whatever it might be, are six and nine times on average past uh, the drink that can neutralize the virus. Um, so we're really talking about managing occupants, managing patrons, um, as well as providing a safe environment for staff. Mm-hmm. Um, the big concern, similar to a restaurant or an amusement park or a zoo or a museum with aquatics, is that it's the, the heavy touch places we really want to uh, focus on limiting access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on the phone with various operators from around the country. And another unique thing about aquatics is that 
while there are guidelines, um, everyone's approaching it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, that can be from county to county, from city to city, obviously from state to state or region to region. So we're seeing a lot of, uh, of variations of uh, guidelines being followed. Um, and then we're seeing some that are just ignoring all guidelines and, and doing whatever they want, um, you know, within the, the overall context of trying to be safe. Right. Yeah, it's been interesting um, kind of thinking about um, just the variety of, of different kind of rules and regulations that different, um, you know, local governments are setting forth in terms of reopening. Uh, it's just been I mean, I, I imagine that's that's got to be really difficult for facility operators to just kind of, you know, th there's no one set of, of rules for them to adhere to. They've got to kind of drill down specifically to where their facilities are located. Yeah, one of the things that, that we've seen um, in the public sector, um, in, in, in the public sector, I think is a lot more standardized than the private sector um, in one regard the public sector is more uh, set up or equipped to understand reduced revenues um, to be able to streamline their staff um, and, and operations. Whereas private sector, you know, if you miss the whole season, you may go bankrupt, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot more ramifications there when you're not being propped up by taxpayer dollars, uh, general funds, or whatever else. And so in the private sector side, um, we literally have seen uh, some FECs, family entertainment centers with aquatic elements that are wide open. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're outdoor, maybe they're limiting uh, the, the total number of patrons they allow in at any time, but their water slides are open, you know, mm -hmm. splash pads are open, pools are open. Mm -hmm. uh, we had one in San Diego um, at the Belmont Plaza that got shut down because they had their amusement park side. Um, it's a clear violation of any islands here in California. But their pool has remained open um, with allowing team use in, in somewhat limited fashion um, or more controlled fashion, and then also open swimming with one swimmer per lane. Um, that one swimmer per lane, usually in 45 minute to an hour uh, increments, seems to be uh, what most public sector facilities have done. Um, along the West Coast, on the East Coast, we have seen a lot of or heard from a lot of facilities that are that are more open, that are allowing teams to um, kind of create their own bubbles and uh, you know use the facilities as they normally would. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, I'm just curious whether I, we've we've kind of touched a little bit on this, um, but uh, you, you mentioned earlier in the on, in the conversation that uh, most people are saying that the pools themselves are relatively safe, um, again, due to the, you know, the disinfectants and the chemicals that we're able to kind of put into, into the water. Um, has there been anything that's kind of stood out to you as far as uh, just your clients, as far as uh, some of the protocols that you've been kind of mentioning, as far as, you know, limiting occupancy or anything like that? Anything unique kind of come to mind? I don't, you know, I don't know if, if there's anything unique because everyone's situation is unique. Right. Um, a, a lot of facilities are not allowing patrons to bring any of their own equipment. So no kickboards, no pool buoys, no fins, no paddles, those sorts of things that would mm -hmm. be taken off, discarded, left on the deck. Um, there's a lot of facilities that are limiting or eliminating uh, use of locker rooms. So you come to the facility with your suit on, you leave with your suit on, um, and, and, and again, you're, you're really trying to limit those high touch points. 
one of the things that we have heard in some facilities um, is that they're allowing you know one or two stalls. Um, I was talking to a, an operator. They've got ten stalls in their women's restroom, and they put tape over the doors on each. And mm-hmm. when someone has to use the restroom, if they you know it's an emergency or whatever bio break is needed, um, they go in, use the restroom. The tape is broken. They have signs up to, you know to not use that stall again until it's disinfected, and then the tape will be applied uh, to show mm-hmm. that it's ready. Um, so we have seen some some variations and things like that. Uh, locker room doors being left open, facility doors being left open to prevent people from having to, you know, touch door handles, uh, sinks being taped off. Those sorts of, of things are fairly standard. Interesting. <clears throat> now, I'm, uh, I'm also curious about any challenges that you might have uh, encountered just in some of your conversations as well. Um, I'm guessing because you know, like we're talking about pool facilities, when you get into a pool, you obviously can't do something like wear a mask, which is one of the things that, you know, a lot of these guidelines are recommending for like general use. Um, Has there been any uh, other challenges that you've uh, noticed in any of your conversations about um, people looking to reopen? And I don't know if this is, uh, again, unique at all, but we've heard from several operators who, Get clear direction from their county health departments or their city councils. Uh, so it's kind of a moving target. Um, several operators I've talked with have come up with, you know, plan A, plan B, and plan C, knowing what the force to recommend it uh, for, for their specific facility. So, so that's a, a little frustrating, uh, I know, for operators when. You know, a lot of these people are very arduous uh, planners. You know, they, they, they come up with, you know, really put themselves through the ringer to come up with a, a, a plan that's not only in the best interest of, um, you know, the financial viability of the facility, but also their staff, right? I mean, staff is a big, a lot of, a lot of facilities haven't been able to train staff. Um, so if you don't have full-time staff and you're trying to remotely train lifeguards uh, or even ride attendants, that's a pretty difficult thing to do. Um, and, and so that is, is something that I think is somewhat unique to this situation I haven't seen before, whereas in the past, you have your plan. This, these are the hours of operation. These are the programs you're going to be running. Um, these facilities don't know, for instance, we're talking about swim lessons. You know, it, it's, swim lessons are life safety uh, skill. Um, it, it, it's part of what makes, especially beach communities, communities with lakes, rivers, streams. Um, it, it's really populous. Not knowing if your instructor allowed in the pool with kids, um, or if the parents have to be in the water with the with the kids, and then the you know the instructors on deck with their mask, facial guards, PPE, whatever that might be, um, that that's been frustrating um, for for several facilities. Also, knowing that your your cash cow that um, that swim lesson, you're either going to have to double the cost, triple the cost of that. Um, or, you know, you're going to have to uh, try and run those all day instead of in a short block to recoup not only the revenues, but also to provide, um, the, the service again for that, that vital life skill. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting just because, you know, again, you know, with so many of our, of the facilities, uh, that, that we deal with, a lot of them are facing, I guess, um, similar issues, uh, again, with things like high touch surfaces and just extra protocols for things like locker rooms and, and bathrooms and equipment and things like that. But the aquatics element, I think really can, kind of throws a curveball in, into the mix. And, uh, you know, some of the things that you mentioned, like the inability to um, 
train, you know, lifeguards in person is, is certainly a challenge for uh, a lot of folks. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, I guess uh, my next question for you, it's actually just about uh, design. Uh, I'm curious about uh, what impact you think the virus will have on facilities moving forward. Uh, I, I feel like that, you know, like there are some trends that we've kind of seen and I'm wondering um, if maybe this whole thing might accelerate some of those trends. Um, and and I, I'll tell you what I mean here. Uh, just for example, like individual changing rooms, um, things like that, that, that can maybe be more easily sterilized or encourage uh, separation. Um, have, have you had any conversations about that or given that much thought? Yeah, we've, we've had a considerable amount of conversations and this, to your point of being an industry trend is something that, that is growing in prevalence across not only the world, um, however, also fairly geographic, uh, in, in terms of prevalence for certain parts of the country that are less comfortable with the idea of multi-genders being in a, a general train changing space. Um, and, and so, you know, we are continuing to, to react to those discussions on a, um, and, and preferences on a uh, facility by facility basis. Uh, in general, I think that, you know, there will always be an increased need um, from year to year to year on providing those safe family changing areas. Um, whether we get to a, um, uh, a model of a universal changing room where everyone truly is in the same space and you have individual pods to your point that can be more easily cleaned and controlled um, is yet to be seen. We've seen that in uh, Canada, for instance, we've seen it overseas uh, several times, specifically in Europe. And we're starting to see that more and more in the higher education market here in the States. Um, but it's also making its way now into the larger rec centers. Uh, where some of those will provide, uh, say there's a three-floor facility, you'll have those universal pods on, on floor one and three, and then if you want to use a traditional gendered locker room, you'd have to go to floor two. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in aquatics, that may be, you know, we still have smaller his and hers, um, but in between we have, whether that's the, the one, two, three family changing or general neutral areas, or that's actually another third locker room is, is again, a little bit dependent on um, facility by facility. You bring up the, the point of being able to more quickly control those spaces uh, or more easily control them, and that's true. However, the more individual spaces you have, the time that actually takes to clean those spaces. Um, so one of the things that we've been talking about on a couple of facilities and now are more accurately projecting um, a worst case scenario where you have maybe full-time staff and all they do is clean. You know, they wow. disinfect, they clean, they make the facility safe, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a large change or pivot from, um, you know, the once a day cleaning or as, as needed cleaning that a lot of facilities have used as a model. It's interesting because, you know, something like this uh, has been, I think, kind of indelible on the on the whole country. I mean, we've all kind of absorbed um, this and it's just gonna be interesting to see how um, this changes, not just in terms of design, but as you mentioned at the end there, I mean, it's also seems like it's gonna have an impact on operations as well and, uh, you know, staffing and things like that as well. So it'll yeah. certainly be interesting to see how this uh, moves forward. Um, in general, uh, how, are, how are you feeling about aquatics facilities kind of, um, preparation and, and ability to kind of reopen uh, at this stage? 
Well, I think the um, lap swimming uh, in, in most of the facilities we've talked to have, have already either reopened or have, you know, permanent plans that are in place to, to move forward with reopening over the next couple months, um, if not weeks. Um, I think July 4th was a goal for a lot of communities, um, depending on, you know, what phase of reopening they're in um, or, or what the, the, the general comfort level with, with, you know, going to these public spaces again. Um, is accepted at the, in that area. Um, but when you're talking about, you know, reopening the rec side, um, that's where it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, in, in one regard, the easiest place to social distance is a water slide, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's a, you, you can put people three steps apart on the slide. You have an attendant at the top uh, with a mask on. You have an attendant at the bottom with a mask on, <clears throat> excuse me. And then it's, it's very easy to control that load. However, you also have handrails that you have to clean, you know, constantly all the way up and down. Um, you have the, the flumes themselves that need to be cleaned. A lot of these multi-structure climb-on, uh, you know, interactive structures. Those are another thing that's going to be really interesting to see how, how that's handled um, because you have so many of those touch points. Now, when you're talking about larger recreation pools, multi-purpose pools, uh, you know, the, the fun spaces and aquatics, um, I haven't heard many of those uh, that have reopened on the West Coast. There are certainly some instances uh, in other parts of the country, uh, specifically the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast that I know of that, that have reopened um, those pools. Um, and, and they're using different matrix there, whether that's a 25% of capacity, um, whether that's uh, another area is using one bather for every 75 square feet of pool versus you know, one bather for 15 or 20 square feet, which are more uh, common, uh, you know, measures of uh, setting up or, or establishing what that occupancy should be. Sure. Um, but again, it's not the water we're worried about. It's getting too many people too close together where their, their breath, um, you know, the germs that, that are expressed uh, can float out. Um, and, and as I'm sure you know, Jason, from from being in pools and from talking with other people, um, that you know the chloramines and, and and all that bad air essentially forms a bubble right above the, the water surface level. So that's you know 18 to 24 inches of of air that's in many older facilities fairly stagnant. So what I think is 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 a good um, health trend regardless is is really focusing on the HVAC and the mechanical systems of the space, the, those air handling systems uh, to do source capture, uh, whether yeah. that's sucking that air out through the gutter, whether that's putting that in the, in the deck drain or a, a prefabricated unit that sits on deck um, to help supplement some of those older facilities. I think we're going to see a lot more of that uh, sure. moving forward, not only in new design, but also in renovations. That is uh, a, a very interesting point. And uh, I think that's uh, a, a great spot for us to end our conversation today. Um, so thanks so much for taking some time out of, of your morning to chat with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. And we're back. Um, we don't really have too much uh, going on in terms of uh, housekeeping notes, so that's actually going to do it for this week's ep- episode of the Athletic Business Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for listening, as always. If you found uh, today's episode interesting, please go ahead and share it with a colleague or a friend and recommend the show to others. Um, we are going to continue to produce these podcasts, so um, keep uh, stay subscribed to the feed, and we'll be updating you with more information uh, as, we, as we get it. Um, but until next time, take it easy, everybody.